Happy Mother's Day once again to you. I firmly believe the video describes it perfectly. We have a long story of mothers in the Bible, and we also have that long narrative of mothers here at Renfrew. You are loved. Whether you're a mom to kids still living in your home, or a mom to grandkids, or a woman who loves kids, thank you for your role in our lives. Friends, we are tired. I am tired. I know that you're tired. So let me just talk to myself and you all just for a minute. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 8 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance, the finishing, finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, strength, endurance, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such person is double-minded, unstable in all they do. Or how about this? In Mark chapter 12, it says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with everything, your entire strength. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Or how about mix it with this? John 15, 13. God, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. So for the next three weeks, I want you to focus on this verse, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, this week I started to hear a lot about my rights or this or that. Let's not argue about that, but let's look in at what Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, he said this, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, don't resist the evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, Hand your coat over as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. In the midst of this pandemic, could that be said of you? Could that be said of me? Martin Luther, not Martin Luther Jr., but Martin Luther in 1520s wrote these words. And let me read them to you. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. 
I shall avoid places and people where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my actions. See, this is such a God-faring faith because it's neither brash nor foolheartedly and does not tempt God. He went on to say, love for neighbor is the ultimate criteria for us as Christians. Christians must choose, much, must use as they choose what to think and plan and do, not only during a time of a pandemic, but in all times, in all aspects of their life. And then he, find, he concluded it with this, there is no plague worse for the church than losing peace in which the word of the Spirit and its diligent use are lacking for the purpose of obtaining the true peace. However, we need nothing but the word of God. Well, if you want to know your rights, here is what your rights are as a child of God. The very first one is freedom. In John 8, 36, it says, So if the Son sets you free you will be free indeed. The second right is, you have the right to be healed. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, by his stripes we are healed, by his death on the cross. The third right that we have as Christ followers is not to be afraid. Romans 8 15 says, the spirit that you receive, the Holy Spirit that you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought your adoption into sonship. The fourth is peace. Psalm 29 verse 11 says this, The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. And the final one, and this is the call for all of us. The fifth is to rise above. That's our right. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma, the great scent of the knowledge of God everywhere. So what's my challenge for us over the next period of time? There are a hundred times in Scripture, 94 of those in the New Testament, where the author exhorts us with a one another challenge. The word one another in English is two words, of course. But in Greek, it's, it's one word. It's alelon, alelon. The one another's talk about unity. They talk about love for others. And they talk about humility. So for the next hundred days, I'm challenging you to do something. I want you to practice a one another until this is over. Pick one and do it. Today, let's start with this one that's found in three different New Testament books. It says to greet one another with a holy kiss. I don't want you kissing anyone, but I want you to start to greet people. When you see people, I want you to verbally say hi to them. People need this in this season. 
Let me pray. God, in the next few minutes, we want to hear your words. It's easy for Matt just to get his words mixed up with what you want to say to us. Today, as we look at this great story, this story of of reconciliation and restoration, may our eyes not be fixed on the, the ground, wondering, when will this be over? God, I need this or I need that, but may our eyes be fixed toward heaven. Today, may you mobilize us to be a great force of, of hope and peace to a world that desperately needs it. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. There's a variety of, of different ways to, to gain a broader perspective of God's story. One way is to look at the entire biblical narrative and view it in seven episodes. So let me give you a little story around that. When God designed the universe, it was created for the purpose of a relationship with humans. When we, humans, humanity, chose to walk away from God's plan in the Garden of Eden, God's original intent of a perfect relationship with us was broken. God then began a plan of restoring the perfect relationship with people through a promise of blessing to Abraham and his descendants. We talked about that two weeks ago. This plan and promise reached an apex when God himself chose to be a presence with people in the person of Jesus. And it was satisfied when God restored Jesus back to himself. Now, through a relationship with Jesus, the mission of restoration continues in and through each of us. As followers of Jesus, you and I are called to be agents of restoration. We join God's work until a perfect relationship with humanity is restored. Every family, doesn't matter who you are, has a set of beloved stories that they tell over and over again. It could be how grandpa came to this country with just $5 in his pocket. Or maybe one of your relatives fought in a famous battle. It may be a story of romance, or a child's rescue, or a moment of accomplishment. I love telling stories about my family. There's many times my stories involve a lot of humor. In some ways, in many ways, the stories we remember, the stories that we tell, shape who we are. They explain where we've come from. They shed light on who we are. They guide our steps as we move forward in life. That's why the Bible is so important. Because the story in the Bible is about all of us. From the first words of Genesis to the last lines of Revelations, the the story of the Bible are more than just simple stories. They're a history of God's relationship with humanity. It's God's pursuit of us. Mark Miller in uh, Experiential Storytelling said this, Storytelling is powerful because it has the ability to touch human beings at the most personal level. While facts are viewed from the lens of a microscope, 
Stories are viewed from the lens of the soul. Stories address us on every level. They speak to the mind, the body, the emotions, the spirit, and the will. In a story, a person can identify with situations he or she has never been in. The individual's imagination is unlocked to dream what was previously unimaginable. That's why for the next four weeks, including today, we're going to revisit some of the most compelling and dramatic stories to show us a bit about God and a bit about us. One of the stories that we're going to focus on today is the story of Rahab. It's a story that is almost hidden away in the first, uh, the first chapters of the sixth book of the Bible, the book of Joshua. If you have your Bibles at home, start to flip to, to Joshua. It's rather fitting for Mother's Day that we're in this story. In many ways, it's a story that you're going to see yourself in. It's a story I see myself in. And it's a story that's as current as the headlines that maybe you woke up to today. But in order to fully appreciate Rahab's story, you have to understand the backstory, which involves the Exodus. You can remember that. It's that deliverance of God's people from slavery in Egypt. So today, as the story begins, the background is simply this. God's people had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. They went through the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea. They had, wander, they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years just going in circles. They had received God's law, but they fell apart as a nation. They were known as nomads. They had no home. The promised land had not yet been theirs. In order for that to happen, they had to do this final thing. They had to conquer the most heavily fortified city in the entire land of Jericho. God was saying, do you trust me? And so Joshua sent some spies into the city to scout things out. Now, normally in a sermon, we don't read a chunk of scripture. Today I'm going to. It's not going to come on your screen. If you want to find this, it's in Joshua chapter 2 and in Joshua chapter 6. So just listen for a few minutes. See the different dynamics that are happening. Understand the story of Rahab. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies. Go over to the land and take a look at it. Especially look at Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The, the king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy on the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they came to spy the land, spy out the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I don't know where they came from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax 
that she had laid out on the roof. So the men went out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and said this, I know, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. You know what? We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. Everyone's courage failed because of you, because the Lord your God in heaven, above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you'll save us from death. Are are you following Our lives are your lives, the men said. If you don't tell what we're doing, we'll treat you kindly. We'll treat you faithfully when the Lord gives us land. So she let down a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find find you. Hide yourself there for three days. Then go on your way. Now the men said to her, this oath, this promise, this covenant you made us, swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter this land you tie this scarlet cord in the window which you let us down. And unless you brought your mother and father, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside, their blood will be on their own heads, will not be responsible. But if you tell them what we're doing, we'll be released from the oath, the promise you made us swear. Rahab says, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. This story isn't just about Rahab. It's a story about you and me. At least in several ways. And the first way is is this, that Rahab's story begins with a sinful choice. The Bible says that Joshua sent out these two spies from the camp over the river to check out the situation on the other side. Joshua 2 verse 1 says, they arrived at the inn, the best western, operated by a woman named Rahab, who was a prostitute. All throughout the Bible, all the pages of Scripture, whenever her name is mentioned, right there next to it is that great word, prostitute. Interestingly, the the Hebrew word for prostitute and innkeeper is the same. Rahab was apparently both. You know, you might have heard this in real estate that the The key to a successful business is location, location, location. And Rahab couldn't have asked for a better one. 
Her inn was built right against the city wall. She could see when travelers were coming in and out, and all she had to do was call down and maybe bat her eyes to get those young customers noticing her. Now, it's, it's very likely that Rahab was a widow, and sadly, many widows in those days resorted to prostitution just to get by. But Rahab, unlike other women, wasn't without resources. She owned an inn, which could have been run as a legitimate business. She had family living right with her in in her town. Yet she's still soliciting sex. She was trading pleasure for profits. What you need to hear me saying is that she wasn't a prostitute because she had to be, She was a prostitute because she wanted to be. And that tells us something about her character. Rahab chose to live in sin. She made a sinful choice. Now, before you look down at your own life, or maybe some of you are going, I can't believe Rahab would do this, let's be honest. We've all made some sinful choices. And sometimes those choices get us into trouble. Like the burglar who chose to break into a nice house in a wealthy neighborhood. As he was stealing the valuables and loading them into his duffel bag, he heard a voice out in the darkness that said, Jesus is watching you. He froze, he looked around, he didn't see anyone, so he thought maybe it was his guilty conscience just trying to get attention, to get, get to him. He started to grab even more stuff, but then he heard it again. Jesus is watching you. So he flipped on his flashlight and noticed a birdcage with a cover over it. The words came from inside the birdcage. Jesus is watching you. So the thief pulls off the cover and saw a parrot. The thief said, well, what's your name, little fella? The thief asked the parrot said Moses the thief replied what kind of person would name a parrot Moses the parrot responded the same kind of person that would name a Rottweiler Jesus it was the preacher Billy Sunday who said this sin can be forgiven but stupid is forever When we're honest with ourselves, we all know, and our stories are littered full of stupid mistakes. We've all made sinful and stupid choices. We all have a past. We all know what it means to live with regrets. Maybe we've done things that we're so ashamed to even admit. Maybe we've even doubted at times that God could really forgive us. Here's the cool thing with God's story. When God looked at Rahab, God didn't see a prostitute. He saw potential. She was not beyond the reach of a loving God. Rahab's past reminds us that no one is beyond the grasp of God's amazing grace. Like Rahab, you and I have made sinful choices But the turning point in Rahab's story comes in the form of a sincere confession. 
the Israelites spent actually the entire night at Rahab's inn, and here was her confession. They probably figured that, that two travelers, two guys, spending the night at a prostitute's place wouldn't arouse much suspicion, but they were wrong. Somehow the, the word got out that the spies were staying at Rahab's and the king of Jericho sent soldiers to her door. So Rahab faced a decision. She could have turned the spies over to the soldiers. She didn't have to help. The safe choice probably would have been to stay out of the line of fire. But given a choice between the side that the Lord was on and the other side, she chose the Lord's side. She hid the, the spies under some stalks of flax on her roof and told the soldiers that they had already left. This is madology, but I really think something was happening in Rahab's heart. I think she was ready to be somewhere else. I think she was ready to be someone else. Because after sending the soldiers away, Rahab goes up to the roof and makes this heartfelt confession. It's in verses 8 through 11. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and makes this heartfelt confession. I know that the Lord has given you this land. That there is a great fear of you that has fallen on us. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how your Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. And what you did to the two kings. You completely destroyed them. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Apparently, Rahab had started to hear the stories about God leading the Hebrews out of slavery. How he parted the Red Sea. She heard of Israel's victories. She didn't really even know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But she knew just enough to know that he was the real deal. That Joshua's God was the God of heaven and earth. She didn't know very much about him. But the little she knew was enough to ignite a spark of faith within her heart. Rahab certainly had a long way to go spiritually. But a darkened conscience is only gradually enlightened. And faith has a way of helping us turn our lives around and make the, the right choices. Rahab just took the first step. Rahab's story is like our story. Many of us that are watching today, we've been walking with the Lord a number of years. We can probably remember the moment our heart became convicted like Rahab's. Maybe it was a sermon. Maybe it was a traumatic event. Maybe it was just the encouragement of a loved one. But at some point in your life, you realize that God was the real deal and life without God just didn't make any sense. Some of you may not even be at that point today. But wherever you are on your spiritual journey, Rahab's sincere confession that the Lord was Lord encourages each of us to step out of faith, in faith, and put our lives into the hands of God. The third thing, 
the scarlet cord. It was just kind of, it kind of snuck in there. The final chapter in Rahab's story is marked by a scarlet cord. Joshua 2, 17 through 18, that deal that the, the spies and Rahab kind of made. The men said to her, this oath you make, made to us, swear it will not be binding on us unless you do something. You have to tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your mother and father, your brothers and all your family into your heart, a scarlet cord, red, like blood, hanging outside the city wall, you see this line and image of the story, you'll be passed over, which is a reference to the Exodus 40 years earlier. It's a recognition that something like this is happening again for Rahab and her family. When the blood on the doorposts of the first Passover night in Egypt was to the houses of Israel, the scarlet cord in the window was to the house of Rahab. That scarlet cord became a symbol of Rahab's salvation. Of course, we know how the story ends. Israel's army surrounded the city. They marched around it every day for seven days. When the walls fell, Israel's army took the city, but spared Rahab. Not only was Rahab protected during the battle, but then she was accepted into the community of Israel. Isn't that how God works? And the story even gets better. She eventually met a man who loved her for who she was rather than what she could do. In time, they married, they had a child together. That child's name was Boaz, who would, Larry, who would later marry another woman of faith, Ruth. Through Boaz and Ruth, Rahab would become the great-grandmother of King David. Rahab's life was changed by that scarlet cord. I'm convinced that God sent those spies into enemy territory just for Rahab, just to save her. Through the years, that scarlet cord has come to be a symbol of our salvation, a symbol of the scarlet blood that Jesus shed on the cross for you and me. What the scarlet cord in the window was to Rahab, the blood of Jesus is to us. The fact is, Rahab's story is our story too. Like her, we trust the promises of a man who came to a sinful world, who left and has pledged to return. But he didn't just come to look around, he came for you and me. If you and I were the only people in this planet who believed in him, he still would come. We don't deserve to be saved any more than Rahab did. Like her, you and I have made all kinds of sinful choices, yet God still demonstrates his amazing love, his matchless grace to anyone and everyone who puts their faith in him. What Joshua did for Rahab, Jesus does for us. Who is God sending to save you? 
He already sent his son Jesus, but I am confident that he might be sending someone else or some situation to actually catch your attention and to draw you back. In the meantime, maybe you're ready to take a step of faith like Rahab did. Maybe you'd like to hang a scarlet cord from your window. Maybe today you'll start a new chapter in your story. Let me pray, and as I pray, we're going to pray for what I just shared, and then we're going to slowly move into communion. If you don't have your communion elements in front of you, you can pause the, the, the YouTube and, and go grab them and come back, or you can take it later on today. But let me pray, and then we'll move into communion. God, thank you for this ultimate gift. It is incredible to think that there's a God who cared enough for us that he gave his son to die for us. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. God, how cool that your story is one where we see Little images of Jesus appearing. And Abraham and Isaac, we saw that you were going to be the only father that, that sacrificed his son. In the story of Rahab, we see that, that scarlet cord, that protection that you gave to Rahab and how you welcomed Gentiles into your community, the people of God. God, we have no greater gift, no greater image than when we take communion. We proclaim what, what Paul wrote, that we proclaim your death and resurrection till you come. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Friends, how awesome it has been to be with you. May this week be a week where you realize that you're more than enough. May you go out and greet one another. May you love one another. May you bear with one another. May you spur one another on toward love and great deeds. And may God use you in a mighty way to further his kingdom here and abroad. Go in peace. Go in the knowledge that God loves you unconditionally and that you were created for so much more. See you next week. <laughs>